Thanks, and welcome to another exciting episode of Smoke It If You Got Em, where we smoke while we record. No wonder we have scratchy voices. Well, thank you for that super pro uh, introduction, Coco Welch. And anybody that does listen to this podcast knows that occasionally, well, actually, I think both of your hostesses have a scratchy voice, but today we are not here with the lovely Sarah Heppala. We have someone sitting in for um, for her. Would you like to introduce yourself, special? Yeah, I'm sorry that I'm a dude and that I'm taller and I'm not from Texas. You're just going to sit here and laugh at us while we do this? <laughs> I thought we'd agreed on a protocol. Um, <laughs> uh, no, hi, I'm Matt uh, Welch of Reason and uh, Fifth Column uh, Podcast. Uh, we are coming to you from an undisclosed location in upstate New York. Okay, it's outside of Rhinebeck, uh, where we, we occasionally come on the weekends to get out of the city. It is the day before... Easter? Correct. Christes Tonestes. Um, we did something, I, as I was telling you last night, Matt, I thought we did something pretty cool the other day. I took a lift and the driver was celebrating Ramadan and he was taking us to a Passover at our dear friend Yael's house. And now we hear, we're here getting ready for Easter. See? Love wins. God wins or something like that. Um, God wins. Um, well, so as might be self-evident to anybody that ever watched any of the old uh, Paloma Media podcasts, uh, one thing Matt and I like to talk about a lot is journalism, because that's what we both do. And something happened in the past, I think it must have happened on Thursday? Friday, maybe? Which bit of it? We're talking about, I'm talking about the Twitter Substack feud, the Hatfield and McCoys. I believe, I believe the feud came out in the open basically yesterday, which is Friday. That's when Matt Taibbi... Um, he of the Twitter files, one of the participants in the Twitter files, uh, exposés, uh, discovered along the way that his links that he was putting up to stuff that he'd written on Substack were being flagged as, uh, I think at first it was being blocked altogether, but then second, it's being flagged as potentially dangerous because Elon Musk, the owner of Twitter, was mad about uh, that. Substack has recently started a feature that both of you and I played with in beta form, and it's up now, uh, called uh, Substack Notes, which is pretty Twitter-esque. It uh, is. It is. Uh, so, yes, we were asked, I guess, about six weeks ago, uh, Hamish McKenzie, one of the founders of Substack, was in New York, and he was doing some recording at Paloma Media, and we hung out a lot, and he and his, his what Mel, who was just great, she, I can't remember her last name right now. Uh, they asked if we'd be part of this beta. And basically, it, do, it does look a lot like Twitter. You you know, you go in and you just kind of post a, a couple of things. It was not, I don't think it was very many people. I maybe, I don't know, 60, 100. Yeah. I didn't know most of them. A lot of them, of course, were internal to Twitter. And I mean, to uh, Substack. And we did notice, like, it's a lot like Twitter. But it was nicer because there wasn't a lot of shouting. There wasn't a lot of spamming. There were no ads. And it was, you know, Substack is a very... You really do feel like you're invested in Substack, where you're both fifth column is on Substack. I have this podcast on Substack. My other, my, uh, my make more pie is on Substack. You feel invested in it. Things felt very transparent and it was fun and it was easy. And then they decided to open it up last week. And I don't know when Elon Musk or the powers that be at Twitter decided, well, we don't like this competition. We don't want there to be another competition. And so you cannot any, now, now think about that. Matt Taibbi is, and the Twitter files, these are all dropping on Substack. This podcast you're listening to, fifth column that you listen to, what do journalists use Twitter for? They use it to, to push their work. I mean, you also use it sometimes for jackassy stuff. I put a recipe or something up there. But 
Now you are not going to be able, your, your link is going to work, including when I was writing the, um, the show notes for, uh, for Make More Pie, which is going to drop tomorrow morning on Easter, I wanted to embed some video that I have on Twitter. You can't do that. So not only can't you bring anything from Substack to Twitter, you can't bring anything from Twitter to Substack. That sounds like a Substack uh, end problem. I don't, I don't think so. Oh, because right. I've been embedding stuff on Substack my entire time. Yeah, and they probably wouldn't have have closed that off. Um, to broaden this in a sense for people who like are sick of hearing about Elon Musk or don't really care what happens on Twitter, here's the practical effect. So Twitter is a place where Nancy point, points it out. People like to talk to each other in different segments of society, and journalists, um, uh, as they usually do, they ruined the platform. Um, it's the truth of everything. Like, you ever notice that? Like blogging was great before we found out about it. And then like we got in there and like, oh man, within three years, it was awful. Um, I think Twitter is, is the same way, but it's a place where people um, can argue about the stuff that they work about and, and, and point to various things. So today, Saturday morning, I uh, posted to Twitter um, uh, a thing that a fifth column listener and a great artist known to us both uh, named David Cicerelli, um, and I'm hoping that I'm massacring his last name, um, he had found in his dad's attic or something um, a really cool thing that baseball nerds would like, which is uh, his dad went to the game where Roger Maris broke Babe Ruth's all-time home run record, uh, October 1st, 1961, last game of the season. Um, uh, hits number 61 to break uh, the, the Bambino's record. So his dad had a super, uh, smuggled in a Super 8 camera on this, got a pretty <laughs> decent seat behind home plate looking down and just sort of filmed stuff. So it's a three and a half minute video. Uh, Dave put it on YouTube on uh, Thursday. Uh, and like it, you could actually say this is never before seen footage. Of on a, YouTube? On YouTube. Okay. On YouTube of, of a historical event. Um, and he flagged me because he knows I like baseball. And I wrote up a piece uh, on because I have a, a little Substack mini site called The View Level, which is basically my baseball writing uh, that I started recently. And I wrote about it and like stretched out a bunch of context. And this is what you're seeing. And this is why it's cool what you're seeing. And look at this guy's closed batting stance here. And and this guy was, uh, you know, this is one good year. And this is his final game of his one good year. You know, things like that that you might do to try to stretch out a three and a half minute YouTube video, but also it's, Hey, look, historical thing, never been seen at that point that I'd put it up. I think 400 views on, on YouTube. That was it. So this morning I published that post on Substack, and I just went on Twitter like you would do every time in this situation and say, Whoa, new video of Roger Morris is 61st home run. Totally cool. Here's the link. Um, and when people try to click on the link, um, they got a pop-up saying, warning, this content might be dangerous <laughs> because Elon Musk, who has the, uh, the basic sense of comportment from what I can tell, um, of a, I'm not sure if it's a 14 year old girl or a 12 year old boy. I'm not sure how to gender it. This is one yeah. thing, but it's definitely yeah. a middle school tit for tat. There's a, the boy element is him always trying to hang out with like reactionary right wing kind of meme Lords and like, uh, and trying to, uh, cater to, uh, what they care about and having uh, discussions and Im impressing them. Um, but in this one, he was really petulant and just saying, well, um, you know, Substack is trying to, uh, steal our API, uh, and like download massive amounts of code. So we just have to let, you know, uh, readers know that this might be dangerous. It's like, dude, it's not dangerous. It's a post about a YouTube video 
of Roger Maris hitting a home run. And it's freely available on YouTube. And w- how we all kind of understood the open internet back when it was open was that this is exactly what it was for. Same thing with blogging. Like the bl- early days of blogging was basically like, hey, I read this thing. It's cool. Here's a link. Why is my Substack, though, not this one, but the other? Why is my Substack called Make More Pie? Hmm. Let me think. It's because Nancy likes baking pies. Is that right, Coco? Okay. Well, it is also the case that there isn't one pie that we all split into smaller and smaller slices. You just make more pies. So what Elon Musk decided to do, and I'm going to talk about whether I think this is interesting or not, is close the bakery. It's like, no, we're not doing this anymore. We're not sharing our pie with you, which basically makes the world smaller, makes it have, but maybe not, makes it have fewer ideas. I think we should be sharing stuff. Now, obviously, this is a very interesting opportunity for Substack. And, and, you know, they have to also be cognizant of the fact that, you know, they, that it is kind of like Twitter. I don't think that they could have anticipated that this exact move would have happened. I do foresee that notes is going to, you know, boing is going to grow a lot faster than it would have. Um, I am a little conflicted about what Musk has done. At first I thought, this is just so stupid. You know, Twitter's already becoming an unfun place. What did that guy comment on something we wrote the other day? If you pee in the soup long enough, it doesn't taste like soup anymore. Mm-hmm. Twitter's becoming a little bit unfun. This just made it more unfun. Taibi just went, Taibi dipped. Taibi has been having, you know, more impact than any single person on, on Twitter this entire year worked with Elon Musk to get these Twitter files out. Saw his uh, account double on Twitter. Double on Twitter. And followers. And he, I, I mean, I don't know if he's, this is like, you know, a forever thing, but he's basically like, I'm done. I'm out. To which Musk said, uh, uh, oh, you know, Matt Taibbi is an employee of Substack, which is what? just not true. What? Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Th- this is not how that works. None of us are employees <laughs> of Substack. And if anything, you're someone who is completely sharing in the munificence of Substack. Um, I... I do wonder, you know, there's tons and tons of people on Twitter. I don't know how many millions of people are on Twitter, 250, who knows, doesn't matter. It is where the journalists hang out. I wonder if the journalists are just going to be like, later. It's, I mean, there's been a defection, a, a kind of politicized defection among people who don't like Elon's politics and also people who um, essentially, who are journalists who disagree with Matt Taibbi's line or concerns about um, the role of what Taibbi and Michael Schellenberger would call the censorship, you know, inf- censorship, you know, uh, uh, industrial complex. Um, there are some people who really think that we need to fight disinformation and that, like, I remember when Max Boot, the uh, longtime neocon hysteric, who's now a, I'm, maybe neoconism was a little bit wrong about something uh, guy, but he wrote a piece when the first days of Elon Musk being floated as a possible owner of Twitter saying this is going to be terrible and dangerous because of disinformation and Russians and stuff. Um, and uh, be, there are some people who disagree with that. And so when he came on, um, they left in protest. Some of them, a lot of them, it was like, you know, I'm going to move to Canada after the election kind of thing. I'm going to Mastodon because I don't Oh, like- is that what it Mastodon or Tumble or something? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, and none of these things have really taken off. In fact, Mastodon... Um, which was the main alternative for people who were especially uh, irked at Musk's approach towards these questions and his politics. Um, even while Donald Trump was getting uh, arrested and indicted and arraigned and stuff, um, which is <laughs> Coco's fist pumping over there. Um, uh, eight. Um, uh, 
that's when you would expect Mastodon's traffic to go up, and it just it's continued its long nosedive. So the the news thing, the new things didn't follow. However, um, so there was that initial uh, uh, rush of people out to different platforms or just to give it up altogether. But there's a sense, and you said it to me. Maybe you tweeted it. I forget what's the line between talking and tweeting anymore. That's one thing we have to relearn in the post Twitter age. Uh, and there's a ton of birds just outside there are. tweeting. Um, is uh, uh, that like you know this just isn't fun? It's not fun anymore. anymore. I mean, when we joined Twitter, both of us in 2009, right? Um, I was I I was a skeptic. I was reluctant because I'm kind of a technophobe, and uh, when the cool kids are doing something, I, I want to not do it, like with ChatGPT right now. Um, but uh, it was actually Anna Marie Cox, then of Wonket, who like uh, we were on did a blogging heads together back when there was still in fact there's still there's still blogging heads, heads yeah. Um, ahead of its time in a way. Um, but she's like, come on in twi- to Twitter. It's great, and here's why. And she convinced me to try, and I came on in, and it was great. I did try it and it was kind of fun in that way. It's really not that fun. So Twitter can be used in any number of ways. As I said earlier, you know, this is where journalists promote their work. They do. It's where the other journalists hang out and what you're reading and it's easy to get links and it's fun and you can talk to people. Um, I use the DMs a lot uh, for work also because people want to find me. They want to tell me something about Portland. It's important to be able to reach. I don't have my I mean, I'm easily found if you want to find me, but I don't have my email just up there. You know, they they send me messages. Um, I've gotten a lot of work done. I've met a, a lot of people, but it is becoming sort of sour and airless. It reminds me, I think I got off Facebook. I still have a Facebook page, but I'm, I probably go on Facebook once every two months. Um, I just remember feeling like this is not a party I want to hang out at anymore. Just, yeah. it isn't. And Twitter is feeling... A little bit like that. But I wanted the second thing I wanted to say about Musk is we all make mistakes. We all do. We make, I make mistakes every single day. And then you try to make a better decision the next day or you apologize or you, you know, you just try to do something better. Is it possible that, you know, on Monday, I mean, we've seen him go about face a number of times that he says, this was not, you know what? We're, we're going to do something different. We're, we're not going to do this. We're not going to keep, put up this steel like the Hezbollah terror tunnel steel. I feel like he's he's he might backtrack a little, but he stuck his neck out pretty far on this, insisting um, of the rightness of his cause. And you know, who would you, who would we be to like uh, to open up our own stuff to competitors? And and he's thin skinned enough that, um, and the fact that Substack is absolutely going to be throwing parties over this because this, you know, they, they they got more publicity that they could ever have imagined for a feature that is like a. Yeah. I'm not sure how that feature is going to go. It's sort of like it's not. It's pretty innocuous and sweet. I had a little bit of a debate with someone on Twitter yesterday. I was like, oh, nobody needs a, nobody needs this. I'm like, well, kind of people like new things. I mean, part of uh, part of uh, Hamish McKenzie's um, approach, uh, particular, and I'm sure it's consistent with the company. He's one of the founders. Uh, he saw Substack as being the anti, the antidote to social media, um, saying that social media, the way that it's currently constructed, or the way that people uh, use it. Twitter especially incentivizes people to be jerks and to have arguments and to take the worst of someone and then throw it out there and then everyone uh, dog piles on. Uh, you might have ex- experienced this or seen this in your life. You uh, think? Uh, <laughs> a time or two, um, and that like sort of brings out the worst of people. It's it's like the ultimate tool for um, that kind of outrage uh, archaeology um, uh, of of 
of like cherry picking the one awful thing and then making everything an argument about that. And it's just, you're actually not deepening or intellectualizing any kind of discourse or argument. And his, uh, point, which I thought when I interviewed him for reason uh, a year and a half ago or so about this, um, I thought I, I suspected it was more self-serving because, of course, yeah, they're going to say that they're the antidote to it. And um, and also they have this commitment to uh, free and open uh, sort of speech and, and uh, Internet in a way that most people have abandoned, which I appreciated a lot. But I've come more and more to see Hamish's side in this. Uh, the, their argument was that Substack by that um, you're accountable to your readers or your listeners. We have a podcast on there too. Um, you are dependent, depending on how much of your life depends on this, of course, um, on their subscriptions and goodwill. Um, and so you're not going to keep them in the game just by snarking in a public place about a mutually agreed on hate figure. Um, that might get you somewhere, but it's really not going to last. It, it looks weird on Substack as a platform as well. And so one of the um, alleged promises or, or uh, presumed promises of notes would be that it would be a Twitter without that kind of snark slap fight element. Now, I do know um, whether, you know, when we were in the beta and there weren't very many people and everybody was on there was either, you know, a Substack creator or part of Substack. Um, can anybody now just go on to notes? Like I you think do- you have to be at the very least a subscriber to something, to something and probably a paying subscriber to something. Um, but I don't know. I don't, I, I'm still like kicking the tires on it myself and I uh, hope it comes into something because I, I want a place to go. Um, I like, I did enjoy those early days of blogging. I was like an early practitioner of among that terrible group of post nine 11 bloggers. And, um, and I apologize once again to the world that I coined the awful term war blogger. Um, uh, literally, my 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 uh, my site was called mattwelch.com slash war blog. Um, so I'm going to burn. I'm going to be on one of those torture instruments on the hill there. Uh, I am a joker. Um, so uh, yeah, but it was still fun. It was a way to have this sort of public uh, conversation that was a lot more informal than what we expected in news media. Um, in fact, that those early days of blogging remind me as much as anything of the days that we've experienced, I now have experienced for seven years in podcasting, just in terms of the intimacy among listeners and consumers. Podcast is actually more in- intimate because you're actually in people's ears and it sort of changes the way that they look at things. It's so different, uh, for example, than um, when people see you on TV. When you're on TV, you're on like Mount Olympus uh, throwing down occasional thunderbolts and and you see you're not approachable. Um, like it's set up to, to look on on a different way. A podcast is, those are your friends. You're, you're having, you're hanging out, uh, in the, in the barn or, uh, if it's the fifth column in, in a bar without an N, uh, in the meat shed, uh, <laughs> everywhere. So, um, I miss those places and I want there to be a place when blogging kind of died out, um, and withered. And I guess Facebook was the closest it could come to, to sort of being a, a publicish square. Um, it, that only lasted as long as it lasted, as long as it took for your, uh, you know, your Uncle George to become annoying talking about um, George Bush or Barack Obama or Donald Trump or anybody else. So, in other words, it got annoying really, really, really fast. Um, and Twitter was that place. It could, it could be, and it's just less that place. Um, I want there to be a place, and maybe it is uh, in the comparatively, uh, you know, walled garden of Substack. Um, it's more to me that I wish that there were more places that 
uh, that just embrace that ethos. We want to be the everything store. And that really does mean everything. We're not going to police what goes in the everything store. We're not going to get hung up on platforming it. And, and, uh, oh my God, you did this and whatever. Like, no, just have everything in a place. Um, and let people like kind of duke it out. All of these things that have grown Twitter, YouTube, um, Facebook, at one point of Spotify, at one point they were the everything store and that's what made them great. Um, and then as soon as they reached a certain mass, everyone started negging them um, to say, no, you can't have this person here or oh, you need to be worried about this kind of uh, disinformation here or whatever the concern was. Oh, you're going to affect the 2016 election in this direction, but the 2020 election in the other direction. Um, and then it just became so much more boring um, and uh, and fraught and, and less shouty. and shouty. So one thing about Substack, which is one of the reasons when I went over there a couple of years ago, is they really were at the beginning, and you wrote about this in your reason piece, which we will, of course, link in the show notes. They were for writers. They wanted people going in there and writing, okay? Writing is different than tweeting. I mean, you could do a nice long tweet thread. Um, Substack has also rolled out things in interesting ways. They don't come out with their like big band and shouting and banging a drum and we're going to do all these things and then it kind of sucks. I mean, do you remember when Twitter for a little while had um its version of Clubhouse? Oh yeah, I think it still does somehow. Oh, I remember Spaces. something, yeah. And Camille first, I like tapped into something Camille was doing. I mean, the tech was so terrible that people were like, this, this sucks. Okay, so this was not rolled out well and then they like kill things and then they come on. They, and it's not really... It's not really about you. It's not really about the writer. It's about Twitter, right? Um, one thing when Taibi posted, and I'll find a link to it, he sent a little uh, a little email or I guess a, a Substack post out saying he complained. He called Twitter or com- somehow contacted them. I don't think you can I'm call sure them. Some, some, some way to do it, right? And said, dudes, like, what's that? And there's like, well, if you want to do writing, then just do the writing on Twitter. It's like, well, you know... You don't have that platform for me to do that. Twitter does not have a way for you to write a 3,000 word piece. As okay? a matter of fact, if the flaws in Taibi's reporting, and he got like pushed back by some MSNBC dude whose name I would mangle, so I won't try, um, on Thursday or Friday of this week, kind of a, he's getting it from a different direction. But he identified like three factual errors in one of Tybee's threads in the Twitter files having to do with the disinformation complex. And Tybee, you know, quickly corrected them. But um, when you have what is essentially a really interesting 3,000 word magazine story and you dribble it out in, in, I, I, dude, in I've thread, done it's it. impossible to read. It's, it is. And, you know, something you can do a thread and you like it and it goes viral and people dig it, but you can't do. You can't do journalism on Twitter. You can use it as a, you know, as a tool for your journalism. But to just finish out this thought, you know, we've got notes now and that's cool, but it's still yours. You still have to be a writer or a content provider within Substack to make this interesting. It's not about, you have to actually do some work. Yeah. Tweeting is not, tweeting can really not be about work. Tweeting can be about like, I'm going to bleed off my little bit of outrage now, or like, I want some sympathy for the fact that I sprained my ankle or whatever the hell you're doing over there. This is not what Substack is. I mean, maybe there are people that have Substacks like that, but like, I can't you're going to really spend time with them. I can't imagine seeing a lot of uh, notes and they're small, you know, it's a small thing uh, saying basically read the room guys, like all of these Twitter style retorts that people love to do. Um, 
it's actually kind of it's it's actually ugly. I mean, sometimes it's funny. It's uh, part of the the uh, uh, you know uh, selling proposition of it is that because we've leveled access to the most you know famous or powerful people who are on there, you can heckle them. Um, and so, on in one sense, that's great. Except for that, then the people who are supposed to be serious in this world thought that what they needed to become serious at was themselves heckling. Um, and this is a mode of discourse. Think about how much of modern conservatism in the United States right now, and increasingly the kind of na- the, uh, versions of national conservatism that we see in the UK and all of continental Europe at this point, how much of it is sort of edgelordy, um, uh, like memeing, uh, seeing how, seeing how uh, much you can get away with, like uh, sliding up to the edge of outrage and then sort of vaulting over it. Um, that's or just a- being snotty. Like, what? The, sorry, what? What was like the Doja coin? Now the dog. Every time you open your Twitter page, you've got the do- like. What is this? How is this about the? How is this about the consumer? How yes. is this about like giving us? When we had PalomaMedia.com, it was about trying to give people delight. Right, you're trying to give people delight. I don't see Twitter as having any interest right now. As trying now, obviously, Twitter is made up of the people that are tweeting and doing it, and of course, a lot of them are, have zero interest in giving other people delight. But it is not a place that seems interested in any way about delivering some remunerative delight to the reason, to the reader, and also to the reason. Um, <laughs> I think that there's a, an interesting uh, inverse thing, and, and Brett Weinstein, who uh, tweeted at uh, Elon Musk, and I don't agree with with all or much of what Brett says on a given day. Uh, I believe it's Brett, not Eric. Um, uh, was uh, tweeted at him in, in disappointment about uh, his role in these uh, Substack Matt Taibbi wars, and his point was, "Hey, look, we've seen um, broadly speaking, the left do this to places." Um, uh, and the response from our camp should, whatever that camp is, uh, the free speech side, um, should be to embrace the, you know, uh, as open and, and freewheeling, uh, type of, of ethos as possible. And you're like closing that. Why are you repeating their errors is the thing. And I would add to that, uh, Dave Burge, the great Iowa Hawk, um, he always talks about how, um, in his depictions of what, you know, is commonly referred to as, as, you know, wokeism or whatever it's word I don't really use, but, um, it's that, uh, that in certain places kind of insider activists have taken over existing legacy respected institutions and worn them like a skin suit. Um, and, uh, this is the, this happened for a while, um, at the New York times. It seems to be kind of going in the other direction in an interesting way, uh, certainly happen at a lot of universities. It can happen in places that you don't expect, at museums and whatever. Um, we saw in the summer of 2020 a lot of that uh, kind of happening. And a lot of the right, modern right, is a sort of uh, response, a reaction against that. It's very, literally reactionary. This is the kind of purpose of Ron DeSantis increasingly is to like say, hey, look, the institutions have captured the education systems or the, uh, the activists have uh, captured these institutions. Um, uh, did Elon Musk take Twitter and use it as his own skin suit? Um, increasingly the answer has to be yes. And, you know, we were definitely not, I was definitely not in the anti-Musk camp when he took over. I was like, Hey, you know what? He wants to buy it. Let's do it. Let's see what happens. Yeah. Let's see what happens. I, I have, you know, he's, he's a guy that's obviously created some interesting things in the world. Let's see what he can do with this. Well, right now it's just kind of a muddy, unpleasant place. And, you know, it's funny, like, let's say you do decide, or I decide I'm about to go to Portland. I'm going to be doing a lot of reporting. I would have been replying 
I will be relying on my Substack to do writing and video and audio, and we'll put some stuff here on Smokem, of course. Um, but how would I get that word out besides just my uh, my 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 dedicated listeners that get the email? I would go to Twitter and I would put a link. Well, that's not going to work anymore. Oh, okay. So then do I go on there and say, hey, you know, find me these days at Substack? Well, that's not going to work because it's not going to go through. So what do you create like a little like subs, like pictures, icons of submarines and then attack. And so people can like figure out where to find you. I mean, they're just going to have to have to figure it out. I, uh, here's my, uh, proposal. Not that I'm going to go through with it because it sounds terrible to me already, (laughs) but you know how, like when you discovered that Facebook was no longer good, you realized you couldn't undo it. Like you could leave. But then like you, you do use it once every th- three months to check in on someone you wouldn't have any other access to, usually uh, someone in your friends and family. For me, uh, I realized that when um, I had used Facebook to follow people who I know professionally as opposed to personally, like if it was purely actual friends and family members, then I really wouldn't care too much about their weirdo political opinions and stuff because it's fine. And if they get too annoying, I would unfollow them and it would be, it would be okay. I think what we're going to have to do because you can't just go back and unfollow everybody. Just we're all going to have to start a second Facebook identity each, and it'll be Nancy Rommelman professional, and it'll be Matt Welch professional, or my work, and it's, it'll be nothing but on Facebook. On Facebook, people still use Facebook, Nancy. It's been no, I, it is true. Humans, we have been told this for at Smokem. It's like, why do you? I, I mean, Sarah might actually go on there and promote some stuff, and I think I put a few links. But I'm, I'm like you. Every two months, I check in because weirdly, I'll get like a a direct message. I don't know if they're called that over on Facebook. Um, from someone's like, "Hi, remember you wrote about my son 17 years ago? I have an update for you." Like, it's weird. It's the only place they know how to find you. Yeah. Huh? Well, I don't know. Professional, professional Facebook. This is absolutely true. Um, also, you're eight, and Jonathan Haidt, he might be right, and we just can't afford to risk that. I know that you have some questions about his research, Coco, uh, and whether and whether he's cherry-picking data. I don't think so. He's a very serious social psychologist. So. Um. Yeah, well, I will be uh, I will be reporting on Substack. I mean, I'll, I'll see what happens with Twitter next week. Who knows? We, we might, there might be another, another shoe dropping. But you will be reporting from Portland via Substack. So for those of you listening, um, I presume that they will find, maybe there'll be some references here on Smoke Me If You Got Them, but also on Make More Pie, correct? Yes. Let's talk about Portland for a second before we get to like the really juicy stuff I want to talk about. So yes, I am going to Portland. I think I may have mentioned that before. I'm going to go and continue to do some reporting. Portland's at an interesting spot right now. And of course, I'm constantly bending poor Matt Welch's ear about what's going on. Um, there are, there have been people that have kind of moved to the more middle ground. Um, you've got a population, the citizenry who's kind of fed up with stuff, but you still have what I think of as the sort of push me, pull you of uh, a very sort of activist progressive element that wants to keep moving in the direction that in my experience is um, creating just un believable uh, rents or rips in the social fabric because of the measure passage of measure 110 that decriminalized drugs. The meth and um, fentanyl crisis is unbelievable. Apparently, I'm going to see it with my own eyes. I'm going to be going out on the streets with some people that cover this and try to try to bring some help to people. Um, you have uh, the car thefts have 
doubled uh, in the past couple of years. We, of course, have had, we've broken the um, murder rate for two years running. Right now, it's it, it's not, it, it looks like it might be okay, but then summer comes and that all goes straight to hell. Um, Portland is paying the consequences for not holding people accountable. When you do a small crime, you go and you break someone's window in the act of protest, and then we don't arrest you for that because we call it free speech or because we want to go easy on protesters, or as is the case now, um, you have so much crime and you have so few uh, defense attorneys that they just are they're just dismissing things. So when you dismiss small things and you don't call them crime anymore, what happens? You create flex for larger crimes, including murder, um, which is a story that I reported on with Rachel Abraham. Anyway, I'm going to see the city for myself. I will be taking video and not putting it on Twitter. I'll try. Of course, I'm going to try and see. I'm going to try to cross those streams, Twitter and... Oh, my sweet girl. Um, uh, and I'm going to be talking to a lot of people who I kind of are, are thinking of right now as the fixers. Um, they're trying to pull some things back from the brink and they're getting a lot of pushback. I'm going to be speaking with someone uh, in the DA's office who said to me, you know, Nancy, it's not a binary choice. We don't have to be the people we were in 2020 or, you know, or, uh, or, or Tucker calls some lights. You know, you can do, you can do both things. You can make it safer for the citizenry. Anyway, I'm very excited. I'm going to be meeting with a former editor of mine. We're going to go out. He said, and this is what is so shocking. Matt and I were talking about this last night. We know that the drug situation is, is unbelievably bad. And you see it now, not just like where you would see it in Chinatown or Old Town or, you know, maybe over on Northeast 33rd where I took Thomas Chatterton Williams and you've just got like the mile and a half of conked out vehicles and people like roaming around and naked and screaming and pooping and all this. Um, but you have it in places where you wouldn't expect to see it. And apparently there's an area, uh, 122nd, I guess, in Powell, not like the best area in the city, but my former editor said it is unbelievable. And no one, no one in Portland is writing about it. Matt Welch, can you comment on why that might, why they don't want, why in the world when you have two alt weeklies, you've got a, you have an, uh, an NPR affiliate, you've got the Oregonian, and I'm not just trying to be snotty and snide here. Why will they not? report on uh before i answer that question how much can i refer to your upcoming events and oh uh, please i i yeah, please okay so um nancy's giving a talk in portland on april 17th at the arlington club arlington club one of these fancy businessmen part of the problem uh kind of club that you have in every they're great for for book talks and such and they're having her come in and, and talk and nancy's idea was hey that's cool why don't i get uh one of the local journalists in town to kind of have a conversation to draw things out and then she would also learn as part of the process and that's of all, course always what you're they're doing. the ones on the ground I, this is one of the reasons i want it like they're on the ground all the time i want to hear from them too and um approached at least two um at, at least two um, kind of respected organizations who um, expressed preliminary interest and then had to come back and say, sorry, can't do that. Um, and that to me is, is such, I mean, it, it's, you know, it's a minor, the personnel uh, 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 anecdote, but it's also so symbolic. Like you're actually a journalist. You want to do this thing, which is to have a 
public journalistic or semi-public because it's in a private institution, but it's, it's out there um, conversation with a fellow journalist about a contested issue of local, strong local interest and national interest too. And have back, what is, what are we even doing when we can't have those conversations? And the answer has to be, um, or at least the, the strong supposition has to be that there is a sense of uh, institutional cowardice. We cannot be seen as someone who's even in conversation, even risks, you know, platforming this person, Nancy Rahman, who has a notorious local reputation for reasons that absolutely collapse upon examination um, and uh, like cause one to think of how did everything go so horribly wrong. So, um, Hello, Smoke and Leaf Bottom listeners. If you are hearing this, that means you have just listened to the free portion of our, oh, I don't know, bi-weekly episodes with Sarah Hepla. Sarah Hepla, who's just so busy right now, she could not record this little uh, interim moment for you. Um, we're happy to have you here as a free subscriber. If you'd like the entire episodes, please go over to smokeempodcast.substack.com and sign up and subscribe. Then you will get the full episodes every week, plus some special things we drop for you on the weekends and our monthly, our first Sunday Zooms. Again, to get the full fig, that is smokeempodcast.substack.com. Thanks.